Well, good morning. Welcome. We, uh, we're in the midst, if you don't know what that's about, we're in the midst of our series. And um, the, the series graphics that we've been using are to seek and to save. Um, that's the theme of the book of Luke. The Son of Man is how Luke refers to Jesus, that he is the Son of Man, just like Superman's name means the Son of Kalel or whatever it is. I can't remember now. Anyway, so that's, that's why we kind of, we want to do a theme music before, and quite honestly, we just kept forgetting to do it. That's, that's it. You know, you think you forget things, we do too. But sometimes we just need something to cue us to sit down, because you guys just keep talking, even over me when I try to have you sit. And so uh, that'll, be our, that'll be our theme for the rest. Those of you who are laughing or know that's true. And so... Um, so that'll be our theme uh, for the rest of the series. And again, we're not, we don't just make this stuff up. Like most of the time when we come up with our, almost always, when we come up with the titles or even when I come up with the titles of the sermon, the title of our series, we want to take it straight from God's word. We don't just want to make up some title that's catchy and fun because it's catchy and fun. We really want you to remember it. So if a year from now or two years from now you're reading the book of Luke, you can remember, wait a minute. Luke's purpose, which he wrote about in Luke 19.10, said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That, that was what Jesus came to do. And so hopefully a year from now, if you're thinking through the book of Luke, you may not remember anything else, but you'll remember, wait, the book's about the Son of Man and, and to seek and to save. And at least that'll be there as something you read through. And so when we do books of the Bible, which we always do and walk through them, that's the reason why we do these titles and these catchy themes is we want you to remember God's word, not we want you to remember how cool we are, but we want you to remember the word of God and know it and live it and dig into it. And so that's what we've been looking at. Uh, this week, what we're going to look at the question, and we've been dealing with a, a question that Jesus asks each week. And this week it's look for someone else, question mark. Should we look for someone else is what we're going to see in the scripture, but, but looking for someone else. And, and isn't this really like, what our culture's all about, right? Like, I don't have enough friends on Facebook. I gotta look for another one. And Facebook tells me that. They send me all these friend requests, right? Or, like, and it's not wrong to have friends or wanna know people or do those things, but so often we're constantly looking for something or someone else that will fulfill us because God's not enough. And whenever you do that, you're setting yourself up for failure. And you're setting yourself up to be someone who uses people. I'll just be blunt. You're setting yourself up to be someone who's gonna end up using people instead of giving your life to them as Christ gave his life to us. See, Christ didn't need us. God wasn't in heaven being like, I'm real lonely. Let me create a bunch of people that don't listen. Like that's, so say, you didn't create kids and think, I'm real lonely. Let's have children. That'll solve our problems. Like, no, it doesn't. Like, God wasn't lonely, he did it because he's a creator, because he wants to bring life, because he desires to, sh to show who he is, and he created mankind special. I mean, it doesn't matter if you believe in evolution or what you believe in, I, I believe that God created it all, it was, he was in charge of it all. It doesn't matter, you can't deny the fact that humanity's different. There's no other animal that writes words, none, none. Now, some animals do kind of things that humans do, but none of them have written language. They can communicate. We're not sure how they communicate, and is it, do they understand words, or is it instinctual, and they understand chirps and, and roars and that kind of stuff. But the reality is only humans write. That's the significance of what God did. He created man differently. 
Mankind is different. And so this morning, we're going to dive right in where we left off last week. We're going to dive right in, and here it is. Luke, chapter 7, verse 20. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to chapter 7, or you can use the live page and go there uh, and do that. Um, also, for those of you who are less uh, tech-savvy, you can always register your visit on a comment card that are by the offering box, and if you have prayer requests, you can put those on the back. And we pray for those. We look at those at staff meeting every Friday. Um, we try to post those so that our staff knows to pray for you and to pray for those requests. And so don't forget to do that. We're not just digital. We have the old paper stuff, and it's good. You can use it. So here we are, Luke 7, verse 20. When the men reached him, that's Jesus we're talking about. They reached Jesus. They said, and these were John's the, John's the Baptist's disciples. These were people that were following John. John sent them to ask Jesus a question. John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? Are you the one that's to come or should we look for someone else? John the Baptist, we're going to see in a minute, was one of the most faithful people to God to ever live. Jesus is going to say that, not me. The guy was on fire for God, lived his life, surrendered his life for the God of the universe, and, and laid down his life for others to preach a hard message, a message of repentance, a message of surrender to God that people ignored, and John ends up going to prison for it because he won't, he, he's standing for biblical marriage in his culture, and he gets thrown in prison for it. That's exactly why John's in prison, and then he gets his head cut off for it. His head gets chopped off because he won't say, I'm not compromising. You need to believe that God is right, his word is right, that God's word is true, and I stand by God's word, and I'm not going to compromise it. It doesn't mean I'm going to hurt you or not love you or not care about you. I just can't say that's right. I just can't do it. And so as a result, John was in prison, and he's going to get his head cut off. And if you're in prison, and there's the possibility of getting your head chopped off or dying, you might have some questions about the purpose of your life. <laughs> and was what I did in my life worth it? And what's the future of my life when there's this special guy who looks like he's going to take care of a lot of people's problems? Maybe he can help me too, <laughs> right? These are questions you would have. It's the questions you have for God, right? God, where are you? Why, can, why don't you fix this? What? So John sends his disciples saying, look, I know I'm coming to the end. It's not looking good for me. And before I, I just want to know, are you really the one or is there someone else we should expect? I don't know what to tell my disciples. I don't know what to tell my, my spiritual children. I don't know what to tell them. I want to tell them that you're the one. And John knew Jesus since they were in the womb. When their mothers, when you read in the Bible, their mothers met for the, for the first time when they were both, they knew each other, but when they came together pregnant for the first time, the baby leapt in the womb. Like they leaped at each other. Woo! I don't know what that's like. They tried to give a high five and it came out of the stomach. I don't know. But it's like they leapt at one another's presence in the womb. So it wasn't like John didn't know who Jesus was. He knew who Jesus was, and he was still struggling with it. Have you ever been there? Is this Bible really true, or is the Quran true? Are the Upanishads true? Is what my professor says true, or is what God says is true? Is God's word really valid and true, or should I expect something or someone else? That's what John's struggling with, just like you and I struggle with that question. 
It's no different. And John was a righteous man. It wasn't like he's in the middle of sin, he's done wicked, awful stuff, and now he's like, oh, I don't know if I believe in God now. No, he's, being, he's doing everything the way he should do it, and he's, and he's struggling. And he wants to know what to tell his disciples. Look at how Jesus answers. At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits. And he granted sight to many blind people. That's a big deal. (laughs) No one else is doing this. This has never happened before. When you read through the Bible, people didn't do this very often. At all. These kind of miracles are not something that you should just expect to happen all the time. Can God do them? Absolutely. You shouldn't doubt that God can do them. But they are special things that happen. And so here, Jesus, Luke writes, and he says, these were the things that Jesus was doing. So he replied, Jesus replied to them, go and report to John the things you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And anyone who's not offended because of me is blessed. In other words, remember, the word blessed means happy. Those who aren't offended because of who I am, you're going to find your joy, your happiness in that. Right? But can I just tell you, when you read through the book of Luke, and we've already read through some of it, we're getting ready to read some things Jesus read, he's very offensive. I don't know if you've noticed that. But when I read through the Gospels, I get offended. Like, it offends me. Like, I'm like, ouch, I didn't want to hear that today. I was just, like, doing what I'm supposed to do and read the Bible, and now you're like, Matt, you? And I'm like, oh, you're offending me. Like, that's, that's hard. Like, Jesus is, if you find joy in understanding who I truly am and who you aren't, but who I want you to be, that's everything. And so often, we're offended by God's word. I can see it sometimes when I'm preaching on people's faces. That it's, man, that's not getting through. I don't think. But there's an offense. Now you guys are like changing your facial expressions. Like, oh, hi, smile. Like, don't fake it. Like, it's fine. Like, seriously, he's here and John is getting ready to get his head cut off. He he doesn't know what, and this is what Jesus' response, Jesus doesn't say, yes, I am, let John know, I'm the Messiah, I'm the promised Messiah of the Old Testament that everyone's been waiting for for thousands of years, the entire biblical story, the entire creation stories about me, just tell him that. No, he goes, no, John's going to have to believe by faith just like everybody else, just like you and I. Will you believe by faith? John isn't even going to go get to see what Jesus is doing because he's so busy doing his ministry. He doesn't have time to follow Jesus around. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And John wants to point people to Jesus if he's the one because that's what he's supposed to be doing. And Jesus answers this way. He says, go report to him these things and see how John responds. We know how John responds because when we read in another gospel, John says, I must become lesser so so Jesus can be greater. John realized, and at one point he told his disciples to follow Jesus. Now, I'm going to be gone, follow him. So John believed by faith, based on them taking this message back, he said, yes, I I believe by faith that he is the one. I I absolutely, I'm in, and I'm willing to die, to have my head chopped off for the word of God and for what's true. 
He goes on and says this. After John's messengers left, so people were watching this. There's a crowd. People were watching what was happening, right? John's disciples are coming. People would have known they were John's disciples because many of them would have gone out to be baptized for repentance. They had repented and been baptized by John. We preached on that a couple of weeks ago. We looked at that in God's word. He began to speak to the crowds about John. I love this. He comes, he gives this answer of John needs to trust by faith. He just, this is what happens. And then Jesus takes a moment to talk about John. You'd think that's kind of harsh that he didn't tell John everything you wanted him to hear. But then immediately Jesus says, what did you go out into in the wilderness to see? He's asking the crowds because most of the people that are following Jesus now, John has sent their, his way. Like, John's sending people to Jesus. I think he's the Messiah. Go to him. Like, like these people had been baptized by John for repentance, and now they're coming to Christ. And he says, hey, um, why did you go out in the wilderness to see John? Let me ask you, why did you come to church this morning? What were you coming here to see? What, what are you looking for? Something, someone else? Like, why did you come this morning? That's what Jesus is asking. What were you going out to see? And then he says, a reed swaying in the wind? Like, did you really go out there and get baptized and go through all that just to watch this little, oh, that's so cute. You know, you're watching, it's like a sunrise. Look at that little reed blowing in the wind. It's so peaceful. A man dressed in soft clothes? Like, no, John wore camel hair and ate locusts and honey for his diet. That's what the Bible says. Ew, I'm sorry. That's, yeah, but that's, that's what it says. He was a very simple man. He said, you didn't go out to see some guy that had it all together and told you you could have your best life now. That's not why you went out there. You did not go out to John because you were looking for the easy, peaceful life. You went out to John, and he goes on and he says, then what did you go out? To? Oh, look, those who are splendidly dressed live in luxury and are in royal palaces. John didn't even have a house that we know of. He's just in the wilderness living. And it says, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Did you, did you think John was a prophet? Listen, a prophet is someone who does what? Speaks God's word. Prophecy is simply saying God's word. If you've ever spoken God's word, you acted as a prophet. That's, what, that's all prophecy is. It's speaking the word of God. That's all, that, that's all prophecy is. Everybody thinks prophecy is like future telling. Not necessarily. You can tell the future with God's word. Like you say, this is what God said is going to happen in the future. There, I told you the future. Like, you can do that. But prophecy is simply speaking God's word. Our job is to test whether it's God's word or not. We're supposed to check our heart and say, is that God's word or isn't it? And that's what he's asking. Is he a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and far more than a prophet. John's just not some guy who knows God's word really well and like tells you, you didn't go out to just see some guy that speaks God's word. You went out to see something even more and you didn't realize it. You don't realize what you went out and experienced with John. And then he goes on and he says, this is the one, John is the one that is written about, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. They would have known. As Jewish people, Malachi was the last book written in the Old Testament before this period. It had been 400 years since a single letter of scripture had been written. 400 years of silence between the book of Malachi and when the gospels come out. 
Jesus goes back and he grabs the nearest book that was written and he quotes Malachi 3.1 right here. Malachi 3.1, everybody would have known, was, the last, was, was one of the last messianic prophecies, savior prophecies of the Old Testament. There's going to be a messenger who comes to announce before the Savior, Messiah, comes to save us. That, Jesus says, what you went out to see is the guy in Malachi 3, which would have made them all go, wait a minute, that would make you the other guy. <laughs> Messiah, Savior, Lord, because Malachi 3 talks about it being the Lord who's going to come. And when you read Malachi 3, it's all about a war that's coming. And yet Jesus, as we talked about last week, had to die first, had to sacrifice first, and later he will bring the judgment and the war. And Malachi 3 is a really, really, really hard passage for believers, Jewish people to read. It's brutal. He's like, and God's going to judge you too because you don't listen, you don't do what he asks, and you don't believe his word. And Malachi 3 just rips them, shreds them. And it's like, wait, I thought the Messiah was going to come and like overthrow the Romans and you're quoting Malachi 3. That means you're here maybe to get us. So he quotes this and he lays it out and then he goes on. Look at what he says. I tell you among those born of women, no one is greater than John. Wow, that's a statement. I tell you, there hasn't been anyone born of, of woman greater than John. But then he says, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wait, what? What he's saying, and it's really cool here, he's, he's saying, look, you think John is so awesome. He's this great guy. He's so significant. He has such a great ministry. He's so much more important than me or any of us. And Jesus said, no. If you're a part of my kingdom, if you understand what the kingdom of God is and you embrace what my kingdom looks like, when Jesus said to pray, he said, pray that my kingdom would come and my will be done. When you understand that, you're, even, you're greater than John. You want to know why? Because John's still struggling whether my kingdom's coming or not. If you embrace it, you get what John doesn't, is still struggling with. See, for those of us who want, who want a purpose in life that are looking and we keep trying to look for something or someone else, Jesus is saying, look, I'm telling you, the greatest thing you can do is embrace the fact that I am a king and that everything is under my kingdom. And when you do that, you're significant right where you're at, what you do, how I use you. You don't have to be a John. You don't have to go wear camel hair and eat locusts and honey. You, I may ask you to do that, but you don't have to. Just be faithful. Just be faithful, and you're just as great. You're greater than John. I'm just looking for faithful people. Then he goes on and he says, when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness. They acknowledged the fact that only God can make people right. It's not about being great like John the Baptist because it's like a hierarchy. Well, John's going to be in a higher level of heaven than I am, and then this person, and then this person. That's not how it works, Jesus says. He goes, that's not how it works in my kingdom. That's not how it works. It's the opposite. When you read other parts of Scripture where Jesus says, he who wants to become great must become nothing. 
And then if we do that with a false motive, Jesus knows our heart and he says, no, you were trying to be great by being nothing, which means you're still not getting it. <laughs> well, I was trying hard to be nothing so I could get something. Exactly. <laughs> That's not how it works. He goes on and he says, because they had been baptized with John's baptism. They acknowledge God's way to make people right, that it's about coming to God and saying, I'm a sinner. I'm nothing without God's cleansing because baptism was a symbol of, I need him to cleanse me. I need his forgiveness. It's not about me trying to get something. It's not, I just surrender and submit to God. And then it says, but since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him, by John, or by Jesus, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. Okay, pause for a moment. The Pharisees are the religious leaders and word keepers of their day. These are the guys that, that knew the word. To be a Pharisee, you had to have the entire Old Testament memorized. Let me repeat that. To be a Pharisee, you had to have the entire Old Testament memorized. You were supposed to. I'm sure they had people that cheated on their exams and paid people off like we have today. Okay, but like you, you were supposed to have it where they would like quiz you, where, where they would just say a verse and you'd have to fill in the other part. Like it was, it was intense what it took to be a Pharisee. These were supposed to be the guys who knew and understood the word. And they missed it all. They couldn't get it. They couldn't accept the reality of John and Jesus and this plan of God because they had in their mind the way it should work. And if it doesn't work that way, if John and Jesus don't meet my expectations, I'm right, they're wrong. I'm above them. I know more than they do. John wasn't educated like we were. Jesus wasn't educated. He worked construction and then went into ministry. Are you serious? He rejected Harvard at age 12 when we read in Luke chapter 2, the Harvard of his day. He rejected it. He walked away, went home and learned to trade and was obedient to his parents. And they couldn't embrace the truth about how God makes people right because they believed, you ready for this? They were right. I'm looking for somebody else that will tell me I'm right. I'm looking for somebody else that'll tell me I'm right. And Jesus and John are looking at people and calling them broods of vipers. You're a bunch of snakes. Like he's, they're looking at people and saying, you're a sinner. And then on the same hand, they say, but God loves you. And he wants you to be his child. And so there's this dichotomy. The Pharisees are like, yeah, I like that. I like being God's child. I like all that good stuff, but I'm not going to admit that. Well, then you don't, you're missing the message and the problem. It goes on. 731 says, to what then should I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? Man, that is a great question for us today, isn't it? You just want to be right. What should I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? I mean, look around, folks. It's wicked. People hate each other. I mean, hatred. If people could get by with murder in our culture today, they'd do it. People would kill each other if they could get by with it. If it profited them, they would kill one another in a heartbeat with the hatred they have towards one another. But it just doesn't pay off well to do that in our culture, so instead we find other ways to murder people without actually killing them. Like, like 
We are wicked. And so Jesus says, what am I supposed to do with you don't believe John? You don't believe God's way of righteousness. You don't believe me. What what am I supposed to do with this generation that I'm supposed to minister to? What, What should I compare you all to? It's like, ouch, that hurts. Jesus goes on. Here's what he says. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. You didn't hit like on Facebook. Why didn't you like my post? Did I offend you? It's beautiful. Look at my children. Click like. Watch my YouTube. Subscribe to my channel. Why don't you do that? We have taken this to a whole new level in our generation. We have taken the ability to be the generation Jesus is talking about to a whole new level in our generation. And we have bought into it hook, line, and sinker. Is it wrong to play a flute? No. It's not wrong to play a flute. Is it wrong to dance? No, the Bible says we should dance and rejoice before God. Is it wrong to sing? No, the Bible commands us to sing and rejoice. Is it wrong to have a Facebook account? Maybe for you, but it's not evil. The question is, what's the heart? What's the heart? And in this situation, Jesus says, you're like little children always looking for someone else to praise you. Always looking for someone to stroke your ego. Your expectations are, I'm the center of the universe, pay attention to me. We've got an entire system of parenting that does that. My kid needs me, so I'm there. Instantly. I've told my kids numerous times, I can't be, I will never say I will always be there for you. It's impossible. I may be dead. So I don't want to lie. If I'm dead, I can't be there for you. Sorry, I'm dead. Because I know I'm going to die. I don't know if you guys know that. You're going to die. Like, nobody gets out alive. Like, it's true. And... God may ask me to be with someone else in a circumstance or to do something else and have to tell my children, no, no. You don't get my attention right now. You don't get me right now. God has asked me to do something different. I love you. Have a good day. Like, go to Jesus. He will always be there for you. I won't. That's what I've told my kids since they were little. And we we have raised a generation of people that expect when I do something, then I get And that's what the Pharisees were doing. That's what the people of Jesus' day, I gave my sacrifice, I gave my tithe, now God should bless me with stuff. I should get, I should have all these things. And Jesus, John the Baptist, all of them said numerous times that if you want to live a righteous life, you're going to be persecuted. If you want to actually live by God's standard and live rightly, people aren't going to like it. They're not going to like bless you for that. They're going to hate that you try to do that and they're going to try to throw you under the bus. And he's looking and he's saying, look, our hearts are so wicked. My heart's this way. I know it because I'm married. Look at all I've done today. I should be able to sit and watch the football game without you asking me to help anymore. I've done a lot. Amen. (laughs) My wife seems to not care about that. (laughs) I don't care. Stuff needs to be done. Like, okay. Now, she used to have to ask. I'm at least to a point now where I, I just do it, right? I'm not saying I do it with a great heart, but at least I just do it. Like, 
I used to just sit and be like, well, she wants to do that. She's a Martha. She can do that. I'm just a Mary. I'm going to sit here. There's a story about Martha and Mary in the Bible. and I'm, I'm just a Mary. I'm going to sit here and do nothing. Like, I'm not worshiping like Mary was. Oh, no, I'm just watching football. But now that clicks enough that, that most of the time I get up off my rear and I go help. But she still knows my heart. She's like, I know you really don't want to be helping right now. She has said that to me before. I know you really don't want to be helping right now, but thank you. Like, I can't even get credit for trying, right? Because I'm like this. I played a flute. I got up. I helped. Now you're supposed to be like, oh, I love you, dear. You're so awesome. I'll be waiting for you in bed tonight. Like, is that, that's what my, seriously, that's what we think if we're really honest about relationships. And it's wrong. It's evil. It doesn't have other people's best interests in mind. I'm looking out for me. And God says, don't do that. Can we have expectations of God? Absolutely. He gives us what those expectations are. The good and the bad. The persecution and the blessing. But when we throw those expectations on him or throw those expectations on other people and say, you should be this way or I'm going to look for someone else, we've already gone to a place of a lack of faith. We're not believing by faith. We kicked faith out the door and now we're trusting in circumstance. And God says, that's not John, that's not Jesus, that's not the way it is. And here's what he goes, I love he clarifies. He says, for John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you said, or you say, he has a demon. <laughs> you ever felt like you can't do anything right? <laughs> this is it. He goes on and he says, the son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> Why? Because you're right. And no one can challenge you. That's what Jesus is saying. You're right. No one can challenge you. And then he goes on. He says, yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Jesus is saying, look, you can know whose child you are by what you're trying to get. Or what you're content in having. I'm always amazed at kids. Kid, kids, especially young ones, they don't realize what they don't have and do have. They just want mom or dad. And they think that if I just have mom or dad, I'll be safe. It, it could be squalor. It could be a dirt floor you're living in. It can be a disaster, but if I'm there with mom or dad, I'm safe. And then they begin to grow up and realize it's a dangerous world, and mom and dad are just as clueless as I am. <laughs> and they have to begin to ask, is there something more? Is there someone more? And if we as parents aren't pointing them to biblical wisdom, God's word, who he is, they are going to be in a very, very bad place. Because they're constantly going to be looking for something more and someone else to fulfill them because God won't be enough. And if we're those types of parents that buy our kids love, that's not going to work long term. And I'm always amazed, and that's what Jesus said, just look at children who really believe they can trust their moms and dads. And look at the love. Look at when their parents ask them to do, okay, mom, okay, dad, I'll do it. Have you ever been in one of those households? Right? Notice I say, have you ever been in one? I, I, 
I'm still trying to create, find one. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I mean, our kids pretty much do what we ask them to do. Because we set the expectation of that. Do they do it with the right heart? Nope. Neither do I, half the time. But they know the consequences of not, so it's sometimes just avoiding consequence. And he's looking, saying, look, true wisdom, true the word, words that are wise, are vindicated, they're proved right by the response of children. That's why Jesus says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you have to come with childlike faith, like little children who say, God, this is a big, scary world, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going I'm I'm to look to be with you. I'm going to look to be in your presence. That's what I'm going to focus on. It's exactly what Jesus is laying out here. Luke 7, 36, one of the Pharisees then invited him to eat with him. This is a bad idea, by the way, after this teaching. Like, this is comical to me. He just, like, land blasts the Pharisees. He's, he's laying it out. You think you're right all the time. And this Pharisee, I love this, is like, oh, well, I'll just have him come to my house and I'll convince him of my rightness, probably. I don't know if that was a Pharisee's heart, but I could totally see that, right? Like, oh, if I just talk to him, if we just have a conversation, then, then I can maybe, he'll see my way of things. The Pharisee invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who was a sinner. Ooh, a sinner. That's <laughs> what we all are. Found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. Okay, remember, they're not sitting on chairs. In this day, you reclined at a table that was about knee high, and you laid down by the table. Typically, you laid on pillows or whatever, and so you kind of reclined, and you're laying around the table with other people. That's how they ate together in, in those days, they didn't have chairs necessarily, okay? So that's what's happening. She hears that Jesus is reclining at this Pharisee's house. This would have been scary to go to a Pharisee's house if you've been declared a sinner. Now, it doesn't say she was an adulterer. It doesn't say what her sin was. It's just everybody knew she was a sinner, whatever the sin was. She had been declared unrighteous. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Everyone else is on the floor, laying down, and this woman is standing above everyone, weeping. She's not trying to hide. She, she's not, she, she is on full display. This would have been so awkward. Just in this day would have been just as awkward in our day. It'd be like someone standing on the table crying in our day because we sit in chairs. And everyone's kind of looking, like, what's going on here? And it says, and I'm sure the Pharisee was careful with how he responded because he's watching Jesus thinking, I'm trying to win Jesus over. I don't, uh, let's see what Jesus does, right? Because that's what the Pharisees always want to do. They always want to see what Jesus would do. So he doesn't address this. And it says, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She is weeping on his dirt. Remember, they wore sandals on dirt roads. His feet were funky. I'm telling Jesus had funky feet because everybody in those days had dirty, nasty feet. Like that's just, that's the way it was. I mean, and so she's weeping and it's dripping and she is using her hair to wipe the mud and nasty off of his feet. You know the hair that you're gonna, like is draped around you the rest of the day that you're gonna smell and comes across your face and, and it says, she wiped his feet with the hair, kissing them. Ah! I have a problem just massaging feet, much less kissing them. 
I'm just being honest. Like, and anointing them with fragrant oil. This couldn't be a more awkward scene. This is like, I can imagine this Pharisee being like, what is going on in my house? I did not give permission. This woman's here. She's, and Jesus is just sitting there being like, thanks. Like he's just sitting there enjoying the moment. And you've got to think the disciples are like, what is, we've never, this is not proper. Goes on and it says, 739, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, I love this. He doesn't have the guts to say it out loud because he doesn't want to be embarrassed like the other Pharisees have been embarrassed before. He's careful with what he says because he's trying to prove to Jesus he's right. I got to be careful with what I say. And this woman's not being careful with anything. She's not careful with her expensive perfume and jar that would have been incredibly expensive and probably would have been all she had. She's not careful with how she's interacting with Jesus. She's not careful about being in this man's home. Nothing. Pharisee says, this man, if he were a prophet, remember, he just got done talking about John the Baptist being a prophet. He's trying to dismiss Jesus, and he says, oh, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, because he knew. He knew what he was thinking. He replied to him, Simon, hey, I have something to ask you, to say to you. Remember, he hasn't addressed the woman. They're having a conversation, and he's still sitting here. Hey, Simon, I have something I want to talk to you about. You know how distracting that would be? Like, I have something I want to talk to you about too. Uh huh. Yeah, quit. Don't get her out. Stop that. Goes on and says, Jesus replied, teacher, he said. Or Simon, teacher, he said, say it. Remember, he doesn't call him a prophet, doesn't call him Lord. He says, teacher, I recognize you can teach some good things. A creditor has two debtors. One's owed 500 denarii, the other 50. That's a lot, a lot of money, okay? That is, that is more than you can probably repay in this culture based on the tax system, being under Roman rule. Like, it'd be very difficult to pay those debts back. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave both of them. To which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Now, this is just feeding Simon his ego, Right? The guy that thinks he's right, and you look at him and go, oh, you are right, Simon. <laughs> I'm right. That's right. I'm, I'm right. I wish you'd stop that woman from doing that because it's still bothering me. He goes on, turning to the woman. Now Jesus finally addresses this woman. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon. So now he looks at the woman. Feet. She might be down at the feet. Looks at the woman. Simon's thinking, okay, finally, he's going to address this woman. He's going to address this. Here we go. And he goes, Hey, Simon, do you see this woman? <laughs> no, I missed her. I, I was totally blind to what was going on in my own home and the oil. And I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. That was customary in those days. It was customary that when someone special would come to your house, you would prepare for them. You would prepare to wash their feet. You'd have a servant wash their feet. You'd, 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 you'd take care of them when they came into your home. This Pharisee was above. He saw himself as above Jesus, above everyone. So when you come into my house, like you, you wash your own feet before you come in. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. 
That was commonplace in that culture to greet one another with a kiss on two cheeks like like the French do. That was commonplace, a a thing of, of friendship and respect. Simon didn't do that for Jesus. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. She's probably still kissing his feet. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, which was a common thing that people would come in and you'd you'd anoint their head and say, welcome to my home, I give you a blessing, thanks for being here. And You would anoint their head and say, I'm just glad you're here. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, that's why she loved much. She understands who I am and who forgives sin. And you're here still questioning me. You're here still looking for someone else. She knows who's here. She knows who I am. And it's evident in the way her life has been transformed right now and that she doesn't care what anybody else thinks about her service to her God. It goes on and says, this is why she loved, but the one who is forgiven little loves little. Whew, that's kind of a stinger. Let's see, you didn't wash my fans, you didn't do this, you didn't do this. Um, you, don't, you don't love me at all. You, you don't love me very much. That's painful. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship and that's happened. Like for my wife and I in our marriage, when my wife will look at me and say, oh yeah, you say you love me, but you didn't do, like that doesn't communicate love. And of course I'm like, oh, you're right, honey. Let me kiss your feet. Let me wipe them with oil. I'm so sorry. No, no, that's not what I, my first response is always like, well, let's talk about this, which really means I want to talk about how, why I did, I did what I did and I don't want to have to be like this woman. I want to justify versus saying, you know what? You're probably right, and I'm, I'm sorry. And I haven't served you because a, wife, a husband is supposed to lay down his life for his wife, Ephesians said. Probably is hard to submit to me when I'm being a jerk. I get it because the scriptures say that you're supposed to submit, but if I'm not loving you well, well, that, that'd be really hard. He goes on, Jesus says, then he said to her, oh, this is big time, your sins are forgiven. Look, only God can forgive sins. Only God. The Pharisees knew this. We talked about this a few weeks ago. When people would come in the temple and sacrifice, they were supposed to be the ones that gave people encouragement and said, God loves you. He wants you to be forgiven. And and these sacrifices don't forgive you, but your heart for God does. Go in peace. Have a life. Come back. Let's celebrate what happened here today and your commitment to him. That's not how the Pharisees did things. They always told people what they did was not enough. Bring us another sacrifice. Some more, some more, some more. You haven't measured up yet. Jesus looks and he says, this woman's sins are forgiven. And you can imagine Simon going, wait, what about my sins? You just told me I didn't do all those things and that I've been forgiven little. Uh, Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man that he even forgives sins? Who is this? Only God can forgive sins. These are the Jews. He didn't go to the temple and make a sacrifice. He didn't give tithes and offering. He can't be forgiven unless he does all these laws and rules. No. You can do all the laws and rules. The question is what's at your heart? Are you doing them because you expect something in return? Or are you doing them because God has given you everything, he is everything, and it's all his anyway, so I'm just going to do it. And he said to the woman, look at this. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. You've placed your faith in me and you took your expensive alabaster jar that may have been all she had left and you gave it to me. 
And you filled this room with the fragrant aroma of worship. Because that, would have, that, that, that aroma from that oil would have filled the entire room. You, you worshipped me. Go, go knowing that your sins are forgiven because I'm the one who forgives. And you've placed your trust in me as the Savior, Messiah, who hasn't died yet, but is going to die. It's this beautiful picture of salvation and true repentance. Soon after, as he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Mary, called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Jo Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. These women were supporting these men to do the work of God. They had decided there isn't anyone else. It's Jesus, and we're going to leverage our lives, leverage our finances, leverage everything for this man and the salvation he's bringing. This is incredible faith, incredible faith of these women. They're not looking to get married. They're not part of the 12 because they're like, John looks pretty good. I think if I get in there with the 12, I might be able to find me a honey, find me a, a spouse in this little group. That's not why they're there. They're there because they find all fulfillment in Jesus and they're leveraging their lives, all that they have in their possessions to try to make sure that Jesus can do his ministry. As a large crowd was gathering, the people were flocking to him from every town. He said a parable. A sower went out into, to sow, sow his seed. As he was sowing some, so he's just throwing seed around, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky ate it up. Now think about this. You're a farmer. You're living in an agricultural time period. This is the most, like, duh parable you could ever read. Like, seriously. Like, some of it fell along a really hard path, and the birds came and ate it. Yeah, that's because you put seed in the wrong spot. Like, it's, the birds ate it. Like, yeah, that's what happens when I do that as a farmer. He goes on, and he says, other seed fell on the rock, and when it sprang up, it withered since it lacked moisture. Yeah, you got to water stuff, and we got limestone around here. We don't have great farmland. He goes on. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground, and when it sprang up, it produced a crop a hundred times what was sown, which is, that's what happens. It, the head of a wheat can produce almost a hundred times. A couple heads, and you know, you're, you're there. And then he says... And he said this, he called out, anyone who hear, has ears to hear should listen. Okay, you just told us like farming 101. Like my whole life I know this. Like you scatter seed and then it comes up and that's what we do. You, anyone who has ears, listen. And like, listen, okay, like that's not a revolutionary passage. Then the disciples ask him, I love this, the disciples, right? Everybody else is like, oh, yeah, we're listening. When in reality, they're like, I have no idea what that means, right? Oh, yeah, oh, amen. You're waving the hanky in the back. Oh, yes, soil on thorny ground. Oh, yes, oh, amen. And the disciples are like, it seems like maybe they're looking, I have no idea what this means. And so the disciples are at least smart enough to be like, I don't have a clue. So they come and they go, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom have been given for you to know, but, the re but to the rest it is in parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. It's the word of God. 
See, Jesus has been preaching about the word this whole time. Everything's talking about the word. Everything's looking at the word. He's coming to this. He's laying this out. Do you believe John's words? Do you believe he was a prophet? Do you believe the words he spoke? Do you believe the words I speak? He's laying all this out, and he says, the seed is the word. The seed along the path, he goes on to say, are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. Let me tell you, you're hearing this parable today. You're hearing about Jesus today. I don't know why you're here, why you came, what you were expecting. But can I just tell you, you need to look for no one else but him. And for nothing else but him. And if you do, you're going to be this. You're going to let the devil snatch away the incredible worship and word that you get to give back to your Savior, that he is God, that we sang a minute ago, he is Lord, he is holy, he is everlasting. That's what we get to do. That's what this woman was doing. You're everything. I'm nothing, and I'm happy about that because I know if I have you, I have everything. That's what he's saying. He goes on and he says this. And the seed on the rock are those when they hear, welcome the word with joy, but they have no root. These believe for a while and depart for a time of testing. It's like you come and, yes, I, I want to commit to that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get baptized. People are getting baptized by John. And then you never see him again. Because it get hard and it's difficult and problems would come. And God's not meeting my expectations. And, and I know I'm not meeting the expectations of others. And so I'm just going to give up. I'm going to look for something else and someone else. I'm look for a better opportunity. Guys, don't do that. Because that'll steal your joy. And then he says, as the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones when they heard it, they go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. These are the people that go to lunch today and don't terp tip their server because they didn't do a good job. <laughs> you have no grace, no mercy that God has bestowed on you. It's he looks and he says, this seed, this word has fell on you. Listen, this morning, this word has fallen on you. What's your response? Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, but the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart. See, that's the question for us. Are you looking for something else? Or are you ready to say, I'm ready to give this nasty, broken heart to God and ask him for a new one. I'm done looking for someone else to give me a heart. I, a heart's yours. And only you can restore. Only you can heal the heart. That's what he told John. Look at what I do. I heal. I cure plagues. I do these things. I can heal the human condition. I can fix the human heart. He looks and he says, Hold on to it, and by enduring, bear fruit. See, John was holding on to the word of God. I, I'm holding on to you, Jesus, but you gotta tell me, because I'm struggling. I'm, I'm holding on, I'm barely holding on here. It's all right, I'll help you endure. I, I, want, I want to use you to bear fruit. And, and I, I know it, but, but trust that you're gonna bear fruit. Here's the problem with fruit bearing. You know the only way a plant finally bears fruit when it dies. It has to die. Otherwise, the fruit rots. It has to, get, it has to lay down its life 
so it can bring more life to others and see life unfold. And that's what Jesus did. That's been the plan of God since the beginning of the world. He came from heaven to earth to, to give his life to produce fruit that we have today, people who are being saved and transformed by him. And he asks us to do the same. That's what he asks. He goes on, he says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it up with a basket or puts it under a bed. Can you imagine that? Go home, light a candle and stick it under your bed before you go to sleep. See what happens. Not a good idea. You set your bed on fire, right? And why are you trying to hide it anyway? He says, they put it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. What? Man, God has changed my heart. This woman who came in, John the Baptist, they were putting themselves on display, not so people would like their Facebook page or subscribe to their YouTube channel. They were putting themselves on display because they said, I, I'm just dead to myself without this, this, this God. I got nothing else. It's not about me. It's about him. And that's the display. And then it says, therefore, and nothing hidden that won't be made known and come to light. In other words, if you think, well, I'm, I'm just too bad of a sinner. God couldn't forgive me. No, you're wrong. God says, bring it to light. I'll forgive it. I'll restore you. Quit hiding. Quit hiding. He goes on and he says, therefore, take care of how you listen. Take care of how you listen. For whoever has more will be given to him, and whoever does not have even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. You see, if we have Christ, we have everything, and Jesus is going to produce more than we could ever think or dream or imagine in our hearts, through our lives, that we could never see. And it may not be worldly. You may not see any worldly, incredible things, but I am telling you, I sat this week at a hospital IU health cookout with my brother who is the CEO of IU Health. And we got to share with an entire table of people the hope we have in Jesus. And he got to share that the reason he works for IU Health is because at least IU Health still has a spiritual backbone. They still have a chaplain service because it comes out of the United Methodist Church and they still see that spiritual health is an important part, which is why I'm still a part of this organization. And you know what? We sat there and we talked about our grandparents that instilled in us what it looked like to take care of people in your community and to live your life responsibly and give your life for something bigger than yourself. I couldn't help but sit there and be like, my grandparents passed away with nothing. And look at the fruit. We were sitting there with a couple of chaplains, and one of them, who I've known for a while, looked, he goes, I had no idea you guys were brothers. Like, this is incredible what God has done, and what's happened, like, this is neat. Uh, wow, I'm going to tell this to somebody else. This is neat. I'm like, okay. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. I have a podcast. That's not what I did. Like, like I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm amazed that my grandparents are still producing fruit. Grandma and Grandpa are still having an impact. I just sat there humbled, like, wow. And a little offended that my brother couldn't buy more than a hot dog with his salary. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. That was said at the meal table. That was a joke. He's very generous, very loving, very caring. And I just sat there, and I thought of what I'd studied this week. I thought of this passage, and I thought, I am watching the fruit 
still happen. Wow. Thank you, Lord. I didn't deserve to see that. You could have taken me home without ever having this conversation. And then he says, finally, as we wrap up, this is what Jesus said. We go back to Luke 17, 19, and he sent them to the Lord asking, are you the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? Are you the one who should come or should we look for someone else? That's the question for you and I this morning. Is he the one who really has come? Is Jesus really who he says he is? Or are you going to keep looking for something or someone else? Is the relationships that you're a part of, are, are they the ones that God wants you to be and live your life and surrender to, including this church family, this body of Christ, or, or are you going to just keep looking for someone else and something else? There, there's got to come a point where we just put a marker in the sand and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's my challenge for you this morning. I don't know how you need to respond. If you've never received Christ, if you've never surrendered your life, look, I grew up 18 years in church, walked the aisle three times, baptized three times, and thought I knew Jesus, and I didn't. And I'm thankful that someone challenged me and that God got a hold of my heart and I listened for the first time to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that jumped off the page and changed me. And that may be you this morning. For those of you who have made that decision and you've surrendered, let me ask you, is there something that you're hiding that you just need to bring to light? You just need to deal with it. You need to let God take it and you need to begin like that woman to just bow at his feet and say, if I have to wipe and kiss feet, I will. Because you're God and I worship you.